It is Father's Day, and we are so happy to be in the Father's house, the ultimate Father, the perfect example. God, you could have communicated yourself to us in a myriad of ways, but instead, God, you chose to communicate yourself to us primarily as Father. You love us. You're good to us. As the song says, you are a good, good Father over us. And this morning, God, we thank you that we don't have to come to you as slaves. We don't have to come to you as strangers. We can come to you as your children. We can come to you as the sons and the daughters of God. What a privilege. And Father, that's really what should happen on Sunday morning. We get together as a family. And we come and we tell stories, hear stories about what's happened in our family history. And we share fellowship together as brothers and sisters. And God, you even allow us to crawl up into your lap and spend some time with our true Father. God, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for who you are and how you reveal yourself to us. You're God. You could do anything. But your character, your, your, who you are, is you are love. And you love us today. And God, we love you in return. We thank you so much. We thank you so much for your presence. There's one who's come here this morning, and she has a friend that she cares so much about. And God, I am so thankful that we have young people who are in our church, and we have young people who know that you're the answer, and we have young people who are interceding on behalf of friends who may not know you, but they're bringing their friend to you because they know that you are the solution and you are the answer. And God, this morning, we need all of your power at work. God, we need to see your Holy Spirit move in this situation. God, this young man in question, he needs to know you. He needs to commit his life into your hands. He needs to follow you, and he needs to find out just how wonderful you are. And so, God, I thank you that you're using this one, his friend, to stand in his stead this morning. And God, I pray that you would use her. You would use other Christian friends, and he would be surrounded by so much love that he would want to know you on a personal level. And so, Father, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray today. We pray that you would raise up physically. We pray that you would raise up spiritually. God, we pray that you would come into this young man's life in such a powerful, powerful way that you change the world through him. May his testimony be wonderful and beautiful and strong. And while we're at it, God, we pray for this young lady right now. And we pray that you would continue to fill her with your Holy Spirit. God, I am so proud of all the change that you have brought in her life and how she is becoming outspoken for you. God, she's been through a lot, but she's here and she loves you and she's a witness for you. And I just pray that you would increase her fruitfulness you would enlarge her territory God you would so fill her with your Holy Spirit that people would be amazed at her life and amazed at what you do through her God and for others who stepped up this morning who need a special touch from you God we all need you last week as I spoke about needing more of you on Pentecost Sunday God there's not a soul in here that doesn't need more of you I don't care how long we've been walking with you, how far we've gone, how much we know. God, we need more of you, more of your presence, more of your holiness, more of your power, more of your purity. And God, I just pray that you would work in us, work in this church. God, I know this morning there are many who normally would be here who are on vacations today or on family trips. And God, we pray that you would be right there with them and you would bless them and you would minister to them. You would bring them back in safety to us. But God, where they are right now, I pray that they would sense the power of your presence and they would know that they have a church family that's praying for them, that misses them and loves them, God. I thank you for those who are tuning in online. I pray you'd speak to them, God. I thank you for technology. Lord, we know it can be used for evil, but I pray, God, that we would be able to use it for good so that your kingdom would be enlarged and, and people would come to know just how wonderful you are. Continue to bless us, God. Continue to speak to us. Continue to move among us. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. Thank you for praying with us this morning. Give God some praise today.
Well, thank you so much for choosing to worship with us today. I know it's a busy weekend. There's a lot of things going on, and um, we just are so honored that you chose to worship at Rushwood Church this morning. You know, some people go on Father's Day camping trips, Father's Day vacations. My family decided we would do a Father's Day emergency room visit yesterday. Uh, some of you may have heard the story. Our German shepherd, who is about a year old, but he's a big boy, he's about 100 pounds, wanted to play with my wife yesterday. She went outside. I had gone to Love Life to be part of that movement yesterday morning and continue to pray for Love Life, by the way. Um, but she had gone outside, and he came up to play, and she did not know he was coming up to play, and he kind of hit her from the side, and she fell at an awkward angle, and her knee popped out of place. And so we spent six hours in the emergency room yesterday trying to get everything taken care of. It appears that things are getting better. She did feel better this morning, but she's not able to be here. So we would ask that you would continue to pray for my wife. Uh, we, we don't think she's going to have to have surgery on the knee or anything like that, but just continue to pray for healing for her. Uh, it was kind of amazing that we were at the end of love life yesterday when I got the call that the injury had happened, and I thought, well, this isn't a coincidence. Satan doesn't like. Anytime you're bringing the light into the darkness, Satan wants to come against you. And so we just have to be ready for that. We sometimes can even get used to that because we know how our foe operates. But greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. And so we just give God praise for that this morning. Amen. Happy Father's Day to all of you. And Pastor Jason did mention that we've had people say here before, Pastor Brent is rough on men. And I'm going to kind of address that as we go through our Father's Day sermon today. But I just think that God expects a lot of men. It's not that I don't think God expects a lot of women. I believe God expects a lot of all of us. But I believe that he especially has a special role carved out for men and I believe in our culture we might not necessarily fulfill that role the way that we should. And everything is tied to that and everything suffers because of that. And so I don't want to give my sermon away too early. Um, but just batten down your hatches because we're going to go some places this morning. But before that, I want to just honor the fathers. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being in church this morning, leading your family to be in church. We believe that that is so important. And... Uh, Father's Day sometimes, not every year, but sometimes for my family is a doubly special day uh, because a lot of times my dad, my father's birthday, falls on Father's Day. And this year it is that case. Today is not only Father's Day in our household, um, but it is my dad's 75th. I hope he doesn't mind. I'm sure he doesn't mind telling the age. My mom might not like it if I told hers. But my dad's 75th birthday, uh, Charles Tysinger. Dad, stand up for a minute. I want to honor you today. Happy Father's Day to you and happy birthday to you. And um, my dad is a great man, not just because he's my dad. He set a Christian example all my life. He said, sometimes I wonder why my dad loves me as well as he does. Sometimes I think I don't deserve for him to love me the way he does and help me the way he does and pour into my life. And look, I'll be 40 years old this year, and he's still a part of my life. Just yesterday we were working on him, but when I say we were working, he was mostly working, and I was mostly helping where I could. Uh, we were working on uh, my car. The seat had broken in my car, and he can fix anything. I said, God gave me the ability to fix churches. He can fix everything else. And so that's how he kind of divided that up for us. Um, but I wanted to tell a story just to honor my dad. Uh, I know this is pastoral privilege here this morning. Not everybody gets to do this. But I just wanted to let you know sometimes things happen behind the scenes that God sets into motion and puts in place that if they did not happen, everything would have changed in the future going forward from that situation. And um, several years ago, on July 3rd, it will, be, it will start my ninth year here as your pastor. Um, but in 2011, when they were looking to hire a new pastor here, I was not at the top of the list. I was not the main guy that they were looking at, and there were several reasons. One of the reasons was I was fairly inexperienced. Another reason is back then I was fairly young, and, and they were so right. The people who were, were kind of helping guide this church through the process said Brent's kind of inexperienced, and Brent's kind of young, and that was both of those things were true. And they also said Brent has a lot of family in this church, and that can cause issues and different dynamics that are tough to deal with. And so I wasn't the top guy to be the pastor here. 
But my dad was on the leadership team. He was on the church board. And as they were searching for a pastor, they were talking about several of the candidates. And as they went through, my dad did not feel like that they were talking about me enough. And not to be a favoritist or nepotist or anything like that, but my dad said, wait just a minute here. A lot of what you're talking about with these other guys that you're looking at that may be potential pastors here, my son has done the same thing. And I just wanted to speak out for him. And so the chairman of that, that group actually said, well, Charles, why don't you speak to that for a few minutes? And my dad just told them why he thought I was a good pastor, why he thought I'd be a good fit, why some of the things that I had done in ministry. And I really truly believe that if my dad had not stood up for me and if my dad had not had my back at that point in time, I would not be your pastor today. And so I am so thankful that's one of the stories, and my dad has done that for me my whole life. He's always had my back, and he's always been such a godly example. But that's just one of the stories that not everybody gets to see and not everybody gets to hear. But I'm just so thankful for a man who would stand for me so that I could stand for you. And so if you would, just honor him one more time uh, for his service. My dad has been a part of this church since it began in 1950. I say my mom grew up right up there, and my dad grew up right up there. And if this church didn't exist, I probably wouldn't exist because they met here. And so uh, it's just amazing how God weaves everything together. But if you have a father that is still living and present in your life, or even a father that maybe you don't have such a great relationship with, today might be a, today is a good day to reach out. Today is a good day to honor. Today is a good day to appreciate, and so I hope you will take some time to do that today, that you will honor the fathers or the men in your life that mean so much to you. I think that is so important, and even if they don't act like they, go, they appreciate it because we're guys and that's how we do sometimes, even if they don't act like they appreciate it, I guarantee you that they will, and so uh, I would just encourage you to do that today. Well, it would be a great segue here to tell you that my dad really loves ancient literature. But that would be a lie. I don't think my dad cares anything about ancient literature. So we're just going to have to deal with kind of a poor segue here. I don't know if you remember in high school, one of the great pieces of literature you may have studied, you probably didn't read all of it, but maybe you read a portion of it, was Homer's Iliad. And depending on how much you paid attention in high school, you may think that Homer is Bart's dad, and that's not true. Homer was actually a blind poet who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, and you may remember those pieces from your high school days, or maybe not. Either way, if you remember it at all, it was a story of the Trojans versus the Greeks. It was this great battle. It was this great war that went on. And there's only one scene that I really want to point out to you this morning. There's a character named Ajax. I don't know if that's a great name or not, but anyway, Ajax was his name. A great Greek warrior, huge, strong, at that point the greatest of the Greek warriors. And there's a scene where he is on a beach and he's actually standing on the deck of a ship that has run aground and he is trying to defend his homeland, he's trying to defend the fleet, he's trying to defend his people from the Trojans who are attacking. And so he's standing on the deck of this ship, about to be overrun, he truly believes that he's going to be killed and the entire army around him, all the men around him, they're going to be wiped out, they're going to be destroyed, and this attacking army is going to overrun everything that he holds dear, everything that he loves. And as he fights back against his foes, he calls out to his comrades in Greek, the word is andrizomai. Andrizomai. Let me translate that for you. It's very simple. It means be men or act like a man. Andrizomai. The Apostle Paul picked up the same word, and probably those who read the Apostle Paul would have known very well the story, the mythical story of Ajax fighting off those who came against his people. And when he writes to the Corinthian church, to the church in Corinth, Paul picks up this word, andrizomai, and he uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13. Paul says, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith, and Drizomai, act like men, 
be strong. Let me read that to you one more time. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and dry as am I. Act like men. Be strong. You know, the Greeks had a concept of manhood. The Greeks had this image of manhood emblazoned from their stories, and, and they had the, this image of the greatness of humanity and the greatness of men. And I know that the early church had a concept of manhood, calling men to courage. I mean, the early church, here they are against the entire world. The entire Roman world was against the church. The Jews that were immediately in their context were most of them, many of them, against the church. The whole world was against them, and yet they were called to take this good news about this man named Jesus to the entire world, to take the gospel to the entire world. And so they had to be men of courage. They had to be strong men. They had to andrizomai. They had to step up, be manly, be strong, be courageous, and press forward for Jesus Christ. And so the Greek world, the Greco-Roman world, had an image of what it meant to be a man. And the early Christians had a strong image of what it meant to be a man. I'm not sure that we in 21st century America have the image anymore of what it means to be a man. I know I had a wonderful image of what it meant to be a man because I had a wonderful father who lived that word andrizomai. Be strong, be courageous, act like a man. But as our culture has kind of come apart at the seams, we see more and more the image of manhood that we used to have is being unraveled before our very eyes. Seventy-five years ago, our forefathers stormed the beaches of Normandy, faced down gunfire, faced down in some cases certain death to free people from tyranny. Now I don't think we have, they must have put the picture up because I hear you laughing. Now I'm not sure that our current crop of men are the same. Our current crop of men, many of them are cowering in college safe spaces because someone shared an opinion that hurt their feelings. What a contrast in just 75 years. And by the way, this was actually a political advertisement. I won't name the guy who did it, Barack Obama. But anyway, um, this was a political advertisement. He became named, as, named Coffee Boy. That became his nickname. But we have moved, or pajama boy, sorry, or coffee boy, that would have worked. So we've moved in 75 years from men who were strong enough to defend freedom against the worst tyranny the world had ever seen to men who are sitting around in pajamas, sipping coffee, and not really sure, I don't think anymore, what it means to andrizomai, what it really means to be a man. And all of us are tempted to that. It's our culture. It's the, the soup that we swim in, so to speak. Manliness has been degraded. Men, masculinity has been degraded. And so many men don't know how to be husbands to their wives and fathers to their children. I think this hurts the home worse than it hurts anything else. The home is the bedrock of everything. This church is only as strong as the homes that make it up. Our nation is only as strong as the homes that make it up. God set this thing up. God set this thing up. Man would leave his mom and his, and his dad. Wife would leave her mom and her dad, and they would form a new family unit. They would come together, and they would form a new family, a reproducible family, a reproducible bedrock, a reproducible building block. And the whole everything is built upon that. And really, if you study, if you go back, Judaism was the thing that helped define that so clearly that men should treat women well, they should be faithful to one woman, that they should raise their children and they should be a household. And Judaism helped break that out of the pagan world where you could have this building block that actually Western civilization, in a couple of weeks we're going to celebrate, we're going to have kind of a July 4th celebration here on June 30th. We wanted to do it before and not after. But Western civilization, this nation, everything was built on this building block of the home. And now because, and I believe that men, not that they're more important than women, that's not what I'm saying at all, and not that there aren't godly women. I could talk as much about my mom pouring into my life as I could talk about my dad pouring into my life to get me where I am now. And so I'm not saying that. But I believe that men are an indispensable part and they have an indispensable role to play within the household. And as that has fallen apart, everything starts to unravel. 
And I believe that we have, as I said, men who don't know how to be husbands to their wives and men who don't know how to be fathers to their children. So today I want to give you three things, three things every husband and father should know about how to androzomai, how to act like a man. And no, this won't be politically correct, and no, I don't mean for it to be. I think we've had so much of that junk, so much political correctness that we have kind of lost our way. And sometimes to go forward, you have to go backwards. Sometimes to progress, C.S. Lewis said, the man who progresses the most is the one who realizes he's on the wrong road, turns around and goes back and gets on the right road. Sometimes to progress, you have to go back. Sometimes you have to realize you've gotten off target and you need to return to a better place and a better time. So three things every husband and father should know about how to act like a man. And I'm going to go ahead and kill the suspense. I'm going to give you my three points up front, and then we're going to unpack them a little bit at a time. Rule number one, husband, if you don't show your wife that you love her, someone else will. If you don't show your wife that you love her, someone else will. Rule number two, father, if you don't show your daughter that you love her, someone else will. If you don't show your daughter that you love her, someone else will. Point number three, Father, if you don't show your son how to be a man, no one else will. If you don't show your son how to be a man, no one else will. Now, I could stop right there. We could sing the last song and we could go home. Because I think, I think God gave me those. I think those are really good points. But I think it will be helpful to us to go ahead and break those down and understand those a little bit more. So bear with me this morning as we go through these rules. Rule number one. Husband, if you don't show your wife you love her, someone else will. Men, I don't know if you've noticed this. Guys, listen to me this morning, guys. Tune in with me. I don't know if you've noticed this, gentlemen. But your wife is wired up differently than you. Have you ever noticed that before? Am I bringing you anything? <laughs> I heard somebody say, yup, over here, he's in trouble. But anyway, don't know if you've noticed that. Guys, I don't know if you've noticed this. Generally speaking, and we're speaking in generalities here, but generally speaking, your wife needs more affection and attention than you do. Is that true? Can we nod yes? Men, can we, have you noticed this before? Your wife tends to need more affection and attention. Not always, not 100%, but generally speaking, most of the time. You know, once in a while, that probably happens two or three times a year, I'm ashamed to say. My wife will look over at me and she'll say, do you still love me? And I was trying to think back. We've been married 16 years now. And I was trying to think back in those 16 years when I've asked her the same question. None. I've never done that. I've never asked my wife one single time, Julie, do you still love me? It's just men, we're not wired up like that. That's not a question that most men are going to ask. That's because ladies, ladies, see if you can agree with me. I want the ladies to tune in right now. See if you can agree with me on this. Men folk are simple. We're pretty simple. We're not all that complicated. We're pretty straight wired in certain ways. We're pretty simple. And so we don't ask that because we figure if you haven't left, you must still love us. That's kind of how we are. She ain't gone. She's still here. Okay, I must be all right. But women are not like that. Women are not like that. They need to hear that they are loved. Women need to be made to feel that they're loved. Do you know that there is a whole book of the Bible that is dedicated to the love between a man and a woman? It's called the Song of Solomon. And if you read about Solomon, he knew a whole lot about loving women. Uh, he had a whole lot of them in his life. But it's called the Song of Solomon. And yes, what I'm about to read to you does come from the Bible. Don't say Brent was reading some crazy stuff up in service on Sunday morning. No, this actually does come from God's Word. And so, you know, if you've got an issue with it, take it up with God. But it's Song of Solomon chapter 2, verses 3 through 7 I wanted to read to you. This is a woman talking about her husband, talking about the love of her life. And she says, like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. Getting risque already. 
I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. Now that's in the Bible, y'all. That's in the Bible. That's all I'm saying on that one. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Strengthen me with raisin cakes. Somebody likes dessert. Refresh me with apples, for I am weak with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the wild deer, also likes wildlife, not to awaken love until the time is right. This woman's in love. This woman loves this guy. He's the best apple tree in the whole orchard. That sounds like a country song. Somebody ought to write that. But she says, I am weak with love. I mean, she just about can't even get there because she loves this guy so much. She's weakened with love. But the key to the whole thing, why does she love this guy so much? The key is in verse 4. She says, it's obvious how much he loves me. It's obvious how much. She didn't have to wonder. She didn't have to doubt. She didn't have to ask him. It's obvious how much this guy loved her. Men, we're pretty simple. So I'm trying to give you a simple solution this morning. The key to making sure your wife knows that you love her so she'll keep her eyes on you and not let her eyes wander anywhere else. The key to keeping her knowing that you love her, and because we're simple creatures, I'm trying to keep this simple, to keep a woman happy, you have to find out what makes her feel loved and do it consistently. That's it. It's that simple, guys, because we can't handle no more than that. So God knew he wouldn't give us any more than that. To keep a woman happy, find out what makes her feel loved, and do it on a consistent basis. Do it consistently. And guys, you got to figure your woman out. Now, that's the tough part. you got to figure out what she likes. But it's pretty easy. You might have to have some trial and error, but you can figure out what your wife likes. And you can keep her happy if you do it consistently. Guys, you're going to figure out some of your wives like jewelry. I'm glad my wife ain't into that too much because I can't afford that too much. But some women love jewelry. Diamonds are a girl's best friend, right? Some women would rather have a romantic card. They would rather you write some little feeble poetry that's just terrible and everything else. But, hey, make that attempt. Buy her a card. Write her something nice in it. She'd rather have that than diamonds. She'd rather have that than pearls. Some women like that. Some women like fine dining. Again, I'm glad my wife is not one of them, but some do. Some really like to go out on a nice date. Some women like a back rub. Some women like touch. Some women like closeness and intimacy, that sort of thing. Some women like flowers. So buy her flowers. All women like chocolate. I'm just telling you right now, if you've got a woman in your life, she likes chocolate, you can buy her chocolate. That one will work. I don't know what she likes. That ain't my job to figure it out. It's your job to figure that out. The woman in your life, your wife, what does she like? But find out what she likes and then go do it. It's that simple. But we've got men all over who are not doing that. They're just assuming she ain't left yet, so I must be okay. I'm telling you, you're not okay. If that's your attitude and that's what you're thinking, you're not okay. You're probably in trouble. You better start taking my advice right now. Because women are not like men. They need to feel loved. They need to feel appreciated. They need to feel adored. It's obvious how much he loves me. If your wife can say that about you, then man, you're good. You're good. It's obvious how much he loves me if that's what she's saying. I mean, let me put it to you this way. Anybody ever seen a guy, a dude, a man, a gentleman, an hombre? Anybody ever see a guy... He's just as ugly as homemade sin. I mean, this dude is not attractive at all. And he's walking along, and he has a beautiful wife. And she's just as happy being married to old ugly as she would be married to Brad Pitt. See, you ever seen this? I mean, I know you have. I can't be the only one. You see dude, and you're like, how did that dude get that girl? Anybody, am I the only one? Okay, maybe I'm confessing too much. But anyway... She's happy to be married to this dude. He fell out of the ugly tree, and he hit every branch on the way down. That's what I'm saying to you. But she's happy. Why is that? It's not because he's a genius. He just cracked the code. He figured out what she liked, 
He figured out what made her feel loved, and he did it on a consistent basis. And there he is walking along, face looked like it run into a wall with a beautiful wife who's just happy as she can be because he figured it out. Guys, you're at least that smart. You can at least figure out what makes her feel loved and do it on a consistent basis. Husband, let me tell you, you have an advantage with your wife. You have an advantage over every, despite the fact that you're you and I'm me. We still have an advantage over every man in the world when it comes to our wives. It's because at least if we're halfway awake, halfway good at anything, we can figure out, we're with her all the time, we can figure out what she likes. We can figure out what makes her feel loved. We have every chance to try and to fail and to try again and to figure out her love languages. We won't go into all that this morning, but pretty famous book written several years ago by a guy named Gary Chapman, Five Love Languages. Guys, buy that book. Make that effort to figure out what makes your wife feel loved. But you spend all this time with her. Figure out what makes her feel loved. Do it on a consistent basis, and she's not going to look at other guys. She's not going to want to go anywhere else because it's obvious that you love her. Husband, love your wife. Love your wife. Let her know that you love her because if you don't, I promise you, there's somebody else out there who's willing to do it. It's dangerous. That's where we're failing. Men, we're failing big time. Husband, andrizomai with your wife. Be a man. Act like a man. Figure out what makes her feel loved and do it. Rule number two. Dads, fathers, dads, if you don't show your daughter that you love her, someone else will. Same thing. Both sons and daughters need a father in their lives. That's why I'm convinced God put a man and a woman together. I'm sorry, I know the world is saying different stuff now, but the ultimate, the best, the very best you can have is a godly man and a godly woman married and loving each other and totally committed to each other raising children together. That's the top. That's the top. It's untouchable because God designed it that way. And I don't care who says anything different. They're wrong. God's right, and they're wrong. But the effects of a father on a son are very well documented. You check out most of the guys in prison today, most of the men who are incarcerated, they did not have a dad in their life. And that's not to say that every man who does not have a father in his life is going to end up incarcerated. That's not what I'm saying. But the statistics bear it out. That most men who are incarcerated, most men that are in prison, did not have a strong father figure in their lives. Most of the great atheists in history... If you study history and you study atheism, you will find out that most of the great atheists of history did not have a strong father figure in their life. They thought dad was absent, so they figured Father God must not be there either. And so that's something that is, shows the strength of fathers in the lives of their sons. But as we continue to study and as we continue to do research, we find out more and more that dad is just as important in daughter's life as he is son's life. He is just as important to his girls as he is to his boys. Just take this area of relationships among daughters. The Institute for Family Studies found this. They found that a girl who has a secure, supportive, communicative in other words, she knows dad's not going anywhere. He loves her and he shows it. And he talks to her and he has a relationship with her. A secure, supportive, communicative relationship with her father is less likely to get pregnant as a teenager, less likely to become sexually active in her early teens. And this in turn leads to waiting longer to get married and have children largely because she is focused on achieving her educational goals first. The well-fathered daughter is also the most likely to have relationships with men that are emotionally intimate and fulfilling. During the college years, these daughters are more likely than poorly fathered women to turn to their boyfriends, uh, or yeah, less likely, it should say, to turn to their boyfriends for emotional comfort and support and they're less likely to be talked into having sex. As a consequence of having made wiser decisions in regard to sex and dating, these daughters generally have more satisfying, more long-lasting marriages. 
By the way, I guess I'm going to get PG-13 here for a minute. Every time they do a poll of, mar of women in the United States to try to find out who is most happy with their sex lives, they find out that it is married women who are in some sort of strongly religious marriage. That's not what the world says. The world says that's the last thing that's going to make you happy. But the studies show that they're the ones who are most fulfilled. Interesting how the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. What is, what is surprising is not that fathers have such an impact on their daughters' relationships with men, but they generally have more of an impact than their mothers do. Strong impact by fathers. In fact, I saw this posted several places. I heard it when we went to the Wesleyan Doctrinal Symposium in Indiana. I've seen it posted several places. If a man in the family comes to know Jesus Christ first, 93% of the time the rest of his family will become Christians. The number dramatically decreases if the mom becomes a Christian first, and it dramatically decreases if the child becomes a Christian first. But if the man becomes a Christian, it's almost like the biblical motif, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to be baptized, and my family's going to be baptized because the man takes the leadership and steps up where he's supposed to be, and the family follows suit. Men, if you're here and you're leading your family to be part of church and you're leading your family into a Christian lifestyle, I commend you. You're doing the greatest thing you could possibly do as a father. Thank you so much for what you're doing. But back to these daughters. This is anecdotal, I know, but when I taught in the public schools, you could count on it. If you found a troubled girl, about 100% of the time you would find that she had a broken or poor relationship with her father. Now, I had wonderful students I had wonderful female students who did not have great relationships with their father. It's not a one-to-one -one type thing. But almost every time I would have a troubled female student, I would find she had a poor relationship with her father or no relationship with her father. And many times these girls would go after guys at a very early age because they were trying to fulfill that hole in their lives. They were trying to fulfill that void in their lives. Women, generally speaking, seek male attention. And Father, if you can provide positive and holy and encouraging male attention, then your daughter is not going to go looking for it somewhere else. She's much less likely to go looking for it somewhere else. With relationships, it is the father's job to protect his daughter's heart until God sends, sends a young man into her life with whom it can be trusted. And that's where I stand. I have two little girls, and I will evaluate every dude that comes by, and I will judge him. I will make no apologies for that. Does he know Jesus? Does he love my daughter? Does he love his family? Is he committed to church? I'm going to have some questions. And I'm going to sit down with old boy, and I'm going to ask those questions. And I don't figure they're going to be as big as I am. So I'm going to try to, and if they are, I'm going to find something to intimidate them. We will get them intimidated. But it is my job to help my daughters feel loved and safe and secure so they don't go looking for male attention somewhere else. And I'm not going to let my daughters dress like they're looking for male attention somewhere else either. If that's old-fashioned, good. Call me old-fashioned. That's just fine with me. One of the things I even do to try to make sure my daughters feel loved and feel like they have a connection with me, we go on daddy-daughter dates occasionally. I've got a picture. That's my oldest daughter, and I let her choose. Well, a lot of times I'll come home from, I'll be in the church office, and I'll come home, and we'll go on a lunch date, and I'll say, hey, where do you want to go eat? And it's usually McDonald's or Subway. That's her places. I know that's going to change. That's going to get a lot more expensive as she gets older, that taste. But right now, McDonald's or Subway, and we go and we have lunch together, just me and her. And then afterwards, I say, you know, where would you like to go? And she'll either choose the bookstore or Walmart, the, the toy department or whatever, and we go and we buy her something. And I teach her how, I sh how a, a young man should treat her one day. And I teach her that I love her, and I teach her that I care about her. And my littlest daughter has not done this with me yet, but we're starting to talk, and she's, she's in negotiations with me that maybe if I'll get her a Happy Meal... And maybe if I can buy her something kind of big, you know, afterwards, then she'll actually go out with us as well sometimes. I do this not because I have to do this, 
but because I know if I don't let my daughters feel loved, then there are boys out there who are going to try to use that to their advantage. I've got to make sure they know I love them so the wrong person doesn't come along and love them. And no, I, you know, I joke about they're not going to get married until they're 35 and all that sort of thing. But no, I really won't. I really desire for a good, godly young man to come into their life at an early age. And I'm going to guard their heart, and I'm going to protect them, and I'm going to wait until that happens. And when, I, when God gives me the okay, then I will give them the okay on that. And I'll treat him like a son if he comes in to my daughter's life. But all these guys who might be interested in my daughter should know I'm not afraid of prison. That's the first thing they need to know. Amen. Amen. If they don't love Jesus, they'll have to move on down the road. But if they can prove they love Jesus and my daughter, I'll welcome them in, but I'm the gatekeeper. I'm the one that opens that door. I'm the one that keeps it closed. And that's the way my household will be run. Dads, you need to andrizomai with your daughters. Be a man. Act like a man. Protect her heart until it's the right time to give it to the right person. Number three, dads, if you don't show your son how to be a man, no one else will. Now, that may be a little bit of hyperbole. I may be speaking just a little bit of exaggeration there because I do think godly men can step into a boy's life if he has not had the proper type of father figure. I've seen it happen before, but it's very likely that no one else will. It's very likely that they may miss out on what the teaching they need to know how to be a man. There is a chance if a dad doesn't father his son, someone that someone else will step up but it will always have to be another man, and they can never fully replace what the father should have been. Here is a hard and fast rule, and I know here's where we get really politically incorrect, but I'm not apologizing for it. Only masculinity can confer masculinity upon masculinity. Only a man can teach a man how to be a man. Only a man can teach a boy how to be a man. In the Bible, we see it time and time again, and sometimes it's through fathers, and sometimes it's through spiritual fathers. But we see this motif time and time again. Abraham had his father, Terah. Now, Terah wasn't a good spiritual example, but he must have been a good enough fatherly example that some things were born in Abraham that he became the first one to really put his faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Isaac had Abraham. Then Jacob had Isaac. Then the 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel had Jacob. Solomon had his father David. Study that one out. How David set his son Solomon up to have this amazing reign, amazing kingdom, amazing treasury to build the temple for God. David set up his son Solomon. Samuel had the priest Eli. Elisha had Elijah to show him what it was like to be a prophet. Jesus had a man named Joseph. Imagine that. Even the Son of God, even God in the flesh, needed a man, a human being, to show him and to help him grow up to be the man that he would become. Peter, James, and John, and all the other disciples had Jesus. And then a guy named Timothy had a guy named Paul. Time and time again, God sets this up. A man working with another man, either a biological father or a spiritual father, showing the young one how to be a man, how to andrizomai, how to act like a man, how to acquit themselves like a man. And ladies, I'm not trying to disrespect you in any, any sense. A mom certainly, a grandmother certainly can pass their faith onto their child, onto their male son. Uh, that, is, that is without doubt. In fact, Paul told Timothy that he was reminded of the faith of his grandmother and his mother, which they passed on to Timothy. And so certainly, ladies, you can pass your faith on to your sons. You can pass your faith on to your grandsons. That is 100% possible, and in fact, it's necessary in many situations. But God only uses men to pass masculinity on to other men. My wife can't teach my boys how to be men. The other day, my son Liam, he started to mow a little bit for us, and he hates when I tell stories about him. Don't look over at him. But anyway, he was mowing the other day, 
and he's just learning. He's just beginning to learn how to mow a yard. And so I was helping him. I had him on some of the easier parts of the yard. And he did a, he is great at driving things. He is great with mechanical things. He's more like my dad than he is like me in that. He has those abilities. But he was learning, but he didn't know exactly where to go. He didn't know exactly the track, and I was trying to describe it to him, but he was a little bit off of where he was going, and then he missed a couple of corners. And I said, you need to go back, and my wife is out there watching all this unfold. And I said, you need to go back, and you need to get these corners here, and you need to go all the way down here, and you miss this part here. Just go back and fix that. And Julie says, and she's got a mother's heart. I mean, I wouldn't expect anything else out of her, but she said, why are you so hard on him? I said, I wasn't hard on him. I'm teaching him how to get it right. Now, that's the difference between a man and a woman, and we need both. We need mothers and we need fathers. But I said, let me teach him how to go back and get it right. And she said, but you were mean to him. I said, no, I wasn't mean to him. I'm just correcting him. I'm just showing him how to do this. So he got it right, and we worked on it. And he wasn't real happy with me. But anyway, he, we got past that. And so then I took him to another part of the yard, and I said, all right, do this the same way. I couldn't have done it any better myself. See, what I did, I poured into my son's life. I spoke into my son's life. My wife couldn't show him how to do what he needed to do because she had that motherly heart. I don't want to hurt his feelings. I want my baby boy to feel okay, you know, and that's good. That's needed. But he needed me to step up as his father and say, this is the way to do it because one day he'll have his own family and he'll be mowing his own yard. We don't want a gapped up yard. We want it to look right. <laughs> but anyway, he's, and he did great at it. My point is, only masculinity can confer masculinity upon masculinity. And I know everything's supposed to be fluid and all that mess, right? No. Man, woman, masculine, feminine, God created all of it. It's all important. My sons are 12 and 10 years old. And I've told them both, you boys are coming to the age where you're going to have to associate less with your mom and more with me. You're going to have to spend more time with me. You're going to have to watch me. You're going to have to learn from me. You're going to have to identify more with me because you're coming to that age where you're going to grow up and you're going to become a man. My wife says sometimes, you are so hard on the boys. Why is that? And I said, and she said, why aren't you as hard on the girls? I said, because they don't have to grow up and be men. My boys have to grow up and be men. And I'm going to be as tough on them as I need to be with as much love as I can put in there as well till they get to be good godly men who follow Jesus and will be strong for their families. It's part of the natural process of raising men from boys. Conversely, if a son fails to detach from his mother and identify with other men, preferably their father, they can end up with a broken masculinity or a borrowed femininity, and both of those are a problem. Both of those are a problem going forward. Fathers, you need to talk to your sons. Let me let's get dads tuned back in. If you've tuned out, tune back in. Fathers, you need to talk to your sons. In the Jewish household, the father was a teacher. He did not leave all the training up to the mom, which we do a lot of times in our households. The father was a teacher. The father talked to their sons about all sorts of things. When my sons turned 10, I talked to them about the facts of life. We go on a long drive, and I tell them all that, and they're embarrassed to death. and everybody. But it has to be something that a father should pass on to a son, I believe. I don't want them to hear it from somebody else. I don't want them to get it from a school book or their friends. I want them to hear how life works from me. But now I'm done, and now it's my wife's job to do it with the daughters, and I'm so happy that that's the truth. I talked to my sons about what to look for in a girl. I talked to my sons about working hard. I talked to them about their role in our country. I had a grandfather who served in World War II. That's not the life that God led me into, but what an honorable life that would be because I believe we need good, godly Christian men who serve our nation. And so I talked to them about that. I talked to them about the issues of our day. You can ask my kids. They know all about all sorts of issues that go on. We don't leave it quiet. We talk about it in our household. I talked to them about how to treat people treating people with love like Jesus would. I speak into my son's lives like my father spoke into mine when I was a child. Most of all, I talk to them about God. You need to, Father, you need to normalize talking about God within your household. Don't save it all for Sunday morning. Don't let me be the only voice your kids hear talking about God because your kids do not know me that well. 
They know me some, but they know you a lot better. And if you will talk it and if you will live it, you will have an impact on them that will be irreversible by Satan and all his minions will not be able to take that down if you will speak about God into their lives. And I tell my kids, the only perfect father that they'll ever have is God. I am not the perfect father. I'm telling you what I do, but my, I make my share of mistakes too. I am not perfect, but God is. And my life should point them to his life. So fathers, you need to andrizomai with your sons. Teach them how to be a man. There's a very, very good chance that no one else will. Again, like I told you earlier, people say I'm hard on men. When I preach about men, I am tough on men, and I don't make any apologies. The reason I'm so tough on men is because, guys, I know if we got on fire, and guys, if we started to do what we're supposed to do, I know if men would step up into our rightful places in our households and in our churches and in our cultures and in our community, we would turn the world in the right direction. God would use it to change this entire world. It's happened before and I pray I pray that it will happen again so I'm going to pray for you guys I'm not just I'm not just stepping on toes this morning and remember when I point one finger at you I'm pointing four back at myself if I put my thumb backwards I'm not just preaching at you I'm preaching to myself but I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray that God raises up men in this church that will be warriors for Jesus Christ we have been silent for too long. Most churches in America, 66% women. The average church is about two-thirds women. The men are at home, bored, not doing much of anything. We need to step up. We need to step out. I'm going to pray that God fills this church full of warrior men who will stand up for God, stand up for their families, stand up for their communities, that we will andrizomai, that we will act like men, that we will be men of God. Now this morning to end up We've got something we've never done here before. If it goes well, it might become a Rushwood tradition. We'll see. But we have put together, and we tried to keep it as quiet as we could, and we got a lot of guys that, that could not be here today for one reason or another, but we've actually put together a Rushwood men's choir. Yeah, and... Uh, or actually, I should say... Actually, I should say Father's Choir. All the, all the guys that are up here are dads. And we're going to sing this last song for you this morning. And, hey, if it's not great, act like it is. And maybe we'll do it again next year. And maybe some of you who have, didn't get to participate this year, maybe you'll join us next year. Um, but we're going to sing the song Reckless Love. We're so glad that our Heavenly Father loved us the way he did. A little bit reckless from a human standpoint that he loved us. When they had the 99 in the fold and we were gone, he recklessly went after us to save us from our sins and to bring us back home with him. And so we're going to sing about that this morning. I got a good spot picked out on the back row. I'm going to head toward. Join us this morning as we sing.
All right, Dad, so maybe next year we'll get a few more of you up here, okay? that good? Let's pray together. Father, I pray you would help us to be men and women of God. That you would help us to be a daughter or a son like Jesus. You would help us to be a father or a mother like Jesus. God, you would make us day by day look more and more like your son. Conform us into his image. Thank you for meeting with us today, God. We believe that you have been here. We believe that you have spoken. Now help us to go out and live what you have spoken to us. We love you. We praise you. We exalt your name in this place today. We love you in the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray all these things, and we all said together, amen. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I hope to see you Wednesday night for our walking group. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.